You are listening to the Hill City Church Podcast. Our mission is to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. Morning, church. My name is Josh. I'm the lead pastor here. I'm so happy uh, to be with you today. Palm Sunday uh, is the day that we look back and remember the Sunday before Easter, where Jesus entered into Jerusalem unexpectedly. He entered in on a donkey. He didn't enter in on a war horse. And of course, the people laid down their coats in the street. They laid down palm branches to, uh, as if we would say, to roll out a red carpet for him. And they cried out, Hosanna, which means save us. And Jesus would save the world from its sins. And yet he's this unexpected savior. And I want to start today with a little bit of a bizarre story, not from Palm Sunday, but from the following day, from Monday, where Jesus would spend the rest of that week going from the village of Bethany uh, into Jerusalem. There's this bizarre scene where Jesus, Monday morning, is with his disciples, and he's headed back into Jerusalem, and he's hungry. And he sees a fig tree in the distance, and it's green. It has green leaves. And as they approach the fig tree, Jesus inspects the tree, and there's no figs on the tree. And Jesus, in this totally bizarre scene, curses the tree. May you never bear fruit again. And the disciples look at each other. It's like, somebody has a case of the Mondays. You know, I get hangry as well, you know, and maybe he's just, and they, they don't really know what to do with this, and so they, they go into Jerusalem, and what Jesus does in the temple that day is he cleanses the temple. Uh, there's, you know, pe- people are selling things, there's exchanging money, there's kind of corruption in the temple, and so Jesus flips tables, right? He turns over tables, like, whoa, we thought, you thought the fig tree thing was bad, He's clearing people out of the temple. And then later on, the disciples are with Jesus, and they pass back by that same fig tree, and it's withered down to the root. And uh, it's totally bizarre, isn't it? And Jesus uses this as an object lesson to teach them about the power of prayer, if you pray in faith, if you pray in my name. And, uh, and it's just totally this bizarre scene. It doesn't fit in. It's, it's an unexpected Jesus, isn't it? It doesn't fit into maybe our, our nice Jesus holding a little lamb. In fact, I told this story to my oldest daughter last night as she went to bed, and she couldn't believe that Jesus did this to the tree. I mean, the tree did not, you know, it's like, what did the tree do? And she, she was like, did that really happen? I was like, this really happened. And the next thing she said was, well, that's not very nice. It's not very nice of Jesus to curse this fig tree. And we could learn a lot of different lessons from this. I mean, you you can liken the tree and and the lack of fruit to, you know, what's going on in the temple, right? That there's different kinds of fruit. They're in it for the money. They're in it for all these sorts of things. Or you could draw out the lesson that Jesus uses, a lesson about prayer and the power of prayer. And yet, I I just want to summarize a simple point from this bizarre story the day following Palm Sunday, on on Monday, is that Jesus wants fruit, okay? Jesus wants, everyone say it, fruit. Now, literally in that story, he wanted fruit, okay? He was hungry, he, he wanted fruit. But of course, 
he's not just having this fit of rage where he's using his divine power as the son of God to just, you know, curse a tree and doesn't give him what he wants. He's teaching us something different. I think a main lesson we can take from this is Jesus desires, he longs for fruit in the lives of his followers. Are you growing fruit in your life? Jesus desires for it. He's not interested in the flash of greenery. He's not interested in just bright leaves. He's not interested in pretense. He's not interested in loud worship or showy prayers or you finish reading through the Bible another time and you, you get that gold star. He's not interested in that. He wants the real fruit that comes from a life of deep connection to him. He wants fruit. And today, as we explore this I am statement from John 15, if you have a Bible, you can open to John 15, Jesus not only desires fruit, he's going to teach us how we can grow fruit in our lives, how we can avoid being like the fig tree that has the leaves, from a distance has the show, but once you inspect it, has no real fruit. We're going to be looking at John 15. This is another farewell discourse, one of Jesus' famous teachings before he would be arrested and go to the cross. He's no longer in the upper room at the end of John 14. They've uh, gotten up and they're on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. So this is maybe even a traveling teaching where Jesus is walking with his disciples as he's talking with them. One of my favorite passages from the Gospels. John 15, starting in verse one. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. All right, here's the picture Jesus wants us to have in mind with this teaching. It's a picture of a vine. Who is the vine? Jesus. It's a Sunday school answer. Jesus is the vine. Who are the branches? We're the branches. The Father is the gardener. And then, of course, there's fruit. And this is a lesson about our lives. Now, uh, when Jesus says he's the true vine, what's interesting then is it implies the idea that there are false vines. There are other kinds of vines that we might be tempted to attach ourselves to in this life. So I wanna dive deep into this metaphor for just a moment. What does it mean for Jesus to be a vine? Well, what is a vine to a branch? A vine is what makes a branch a branch. It's where it gets its identity from. I think that's one of the things that Jesus is speaking to. Who are you? Where do you come from? Where do you get your sense of identity? It's this idea of meaning. Where do you, not just where, where are you from or, or, or who are you, but what are you living for? How would you define like your meaning, your purpose in life, and then ultimately your destiny? What are you living into? Who are you becoming? That's what a vine is to the branches. It's a source of life. It's a source of power, a source of sustenance. And ultimately, it will determine what that branch ultimately becomes. 
And in our lives, if you just take those three things, identity, meaning, and destiny, and just look at those three things in your life, and you can ask yourself, is Jesus that for you? Or are you defining your identity from somewhere else? Do you derive your sense of meaning from somewhere else? And ultimately, is your destiny, where you're going in your life and what you're living into, is that coming from somewhere else? Because so often what we do is we attach ourselves to dead vine, where it looks like there's life there, but you approach, you, you get a little close. Upon further inspection, there's no fruit. There's vines in this world. Things like living your life for success, living your pleasure, living your life for popularity and social media, you name it, fill in the blank. What Jesus is saying is there's no other vine that leads to life. Your identity, your meaning, your destiny, is it Christ himself? See, when Jesus says he is the true vine, I think one of the false vines that he is referencing is just how religious some of the Jewish people had become. Think about the Pharisees, and they were really good at keeping the rules. They were really good at following the religious mandates. And yet, you would look at their lives. Are they bearing the fruit that God wanted them to bear? No, they're becoming the opposite kinds of people that God longed them to become. See, this, this, uh, as Jesus is walking, it's quite possible that he walked by the temple on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew if, even if he didn't, his disciples would have been aware that in Herod's temple, this is the first century temple, one of the most ornate aspects of the temple is around the entrance, there's these pillars, they were wrapped with this golden statue of a grapevine as a representation, not just of you know, temple worship, but even of the people of Israel. They, they had this identity, we are the vine. We are the true vine. And yet the vine is a reference to the Israelite people throughout the Old Testament. The problem is it's often a prophetic word of judgment against the people. You can read through the Old Testament prophets and you'll see this. I wanna read you just one such passage, Isaiah 5, four through five. The prophet Isaiah, speaking on God's behalf, says this, what more was there to do for my vineyard, God's people, that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, what does God want? He wants fruit. Why did it yield wild grapes, the wrong kind of fruit? And now I tell you, now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. This is a prophetic word of judgment predicting the Babylonian exile. And so what Jesus is, is saying is, is all along, Old Covenant, New Covenant, it's been about this relationship, this connection of God's people being connected, being in God's presence. And yet the people settled, not for a relationship, they settled for religion. And it wasn't bearing the kind of fruit that God desired in people's lives. So much so that these people who knew Old Testament scripture, who followed these rules religiously, right? Legalistically, they missed the son of God when he was staring them right in the face. And so we might say, well, I would never be like that. We would never be like that. We know that Jesus is the Christ. And yet I would say for many Christians today, we still have this temptation to settle for religion and totally neglect relationship. See, 
The religion of Christianity without a relationship to Christ is a false vine. And I'm not here to say that Christianity is not a religion or that it's bad to use that word religion, but let me say it again very clearly. The religion of Christianity, going, doing the religious activities, going to church, reading scripture, doing the things, doing the Christian things, without a relationship to the living Christ is a false vine. You cannot bear fruit without connection to the true vine, which is Jesus Christ himself. So here's the point for you and I today. Cling to Christ. Cling to Christ. This is the main point that Jesus is, is trying to teach his disciples. You've, they've got to cling to him. Grab on tight to him. The word that he uses 10 times in the 11 verses we're going to go through today is the word abide. Everyone say abide. Abide, it's the Greek word meno, and it means to, to, avi, uh, to, to abide, to live, to dwell, to make your home within, to stick to, or I might say today, to cling, to cling to Christ. For apart from him, we can't bear fruit. We, we, we've got to not just do the Christian things, we have to cling to Christ himself. And I want to tell you the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has made a way for us to be in relationship with him, amen? And maybe you're here today and, and you're just exploring who Jesus is. You're not sure if he's worth you know, trading that other thing that you're connected to or your, your identity has come from. You're not sure yet if it's worth leaving that thing and clinging to Christ and abiding in him. I just wanna tell you that Jesus loves you so much that he, he died on the cross for your sins. He rose again and he promises to forgive your sins and to give you new life if you put your faith and your trust in him. And you might even be wondering, even me? Even me? I mean, does he know how far I've strayed from him? Does he know the things I've done? Does he know the, the thoughts? Yes, he knows all of that, even you. Paul in Romans 11 uses this vine metaphor to talk about the Gentiles People who had lived their life doing all these pagan religious practices apart from God, look at what he says. And even they, Romans 11, 23, even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. That if you're willing to repent, to whatever that dead brand, that dead vine is, if you're willing to let the gardener cut you off of that. He, he has the power alone to graft you into his family, to connect you to Christ. Today, would today be the day that you pray, you ask God to forgive your sin and lead your life? And would you get baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? If you wanna learn more about that, you can find information on our website, hillcityboise.org. But be grafted into the true vine. Now, what does it mean when he talks about fruit, okay? If he's the vine, we're the branches, what is the fruit? Is it the fruit of salvation? Well, certainly, that's the only way that we can be saved, by being connected to Christ, right? Well, is it the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Of course, that's the only way we can grow that fruit, is by being connected to the vine, by the Holy Spirit of God living in us. Well, what about the fruit of ministry, being a, being a fruitful, you know, in, in your impact for God's kingdom? We wanna see more disciples who make disciples, more people getting baptized. We wanna see churches planted. We wanna see this world experience revival. Well, the only way we're gonna do that is by connection to Jesus. So is it the fruit of salvation, the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of ministry? Yes, 
all of the above. The only chance we have is by clinging to Christ. Nothing else I will say today will be of any use to you if you don't get that first part right. Cling to Christ and he will grow his fruit in us. There's a chart that I like to use uh, to describe our discipleship to Jesus. This might be familiar if you've been around for a while. You can see how this John 15 is really influenced uh, our discipleship process and strategy. I believe every single human being can fit into one of these five different stages of faith. Somebody's pre-faith, so they're not yet a Christian, they're, they don't yet have a faith in Jesus. Someone who's new to faith, maybe you're brand new to faith. Maybe two minutes ago, you're like, I think I might be, too, I, I might be new to faith. I think the Holy Spirit might be pulling me towards faith in Jesus Christ. Today, I believe that the, the gospel is still the power of God for salvation to all who believe. Today, that might be you. Someone who's young in the faith, they might be a young person, they're just not very mature as a human being yet, or they might have actually gone to church for years. They're doing the Christianity thing, but they actually haven't really experienced much of the Christ. And there's some barriers to their spiritual maturity. It's actually all about them still. And they haven't learned to take on the mission to seek and save the lost. Someone who's growing in the faith is showing those first signs of fruitfulness. They're starting to serve others. They're starting to give to the uh, sake of ministry. They're starting to live their lives outward focused. And then there's someone who's mature in the faith, which is a disciple who makes more, everyone say it, disciples. You're doing it. You're doing the Great Commission. You're discipling your kids. You're, just, you're, you're reaching out to your coworkers. You're reaching out to your neighborhood. That's, uh, that's what we call this, this process of growing into fruitfulness, really. And wherever you're at on that journey, I want you to know that our church is a safe place for you to come and learn, but it's not a safe place for you to stay where you are, is it? It's a place where you're gonna be challenged to grow. And what are you growing towards? Well, you can say it in a number of different ways. You're growing towards maturity, you're growing towards Christ-likeness, but ultimately we can say for today, you're growing towards fruitfulness. So today, I wanna to spend the rest of our time giving you three gardening tips <laughs> for fruitfulness. These are tips, I know it's springtime, you might have a garden at home. These might work in your literal garden. Don't quote me on that, but I think these are, these are good gardening tips. Three things that we learn from Jesus in the text that can actually help us be more fruitful. The first one is this, even good plants need pruning. Even good plants need pruning. See, there's two kinds of pruning. There's the idea of dead branches that need to be cut away. Typically, this would happen in February or March. There's these dead branches. They died over winter time, and there's no, you know, there's no leaves on them around springtime. And the best thing to do with those branches, they need to be cut off. For you and your life, this is sin. Even if you're a follower of Jesus, you're connected. You're connected to the vine. But if there's sin still in your life, you need to allow the Holy Spirit to convict you of that sin so that you can confess those things, repent of those things, and allow the gospel, once again, Jesus to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. See, this idea of confession and repentance, it's not only a one-time thing when we come to Christ. It needs to be an ongoing sanctification, an ongoing pruning that we allow God to do in our lives. But there's a second kind of pruning that takes place, and that's later on in the summer, and that's those, those, those little shoots, maybe you have this in, in your own garden, that grow, but they grew way too late, 
And so they're just taking nutrients from the branch, but they will never have a chance of really bearing good fruit. They're not dead and they're not even bad. They're just not the best. And the reality is for some of us in our lives, God has taken something away from you. He said no to a good thing, but he's done that for the sake of fruitfulness. Even good plants need pruning. R. Kent Hughes says it really well. Sometimes the pain of pruning comes because of our sins. Other times it is simply because we are bearing abundant fruit and God wants us to bear more. So you're going through suffering and it feels like a trial and God's purifying your faith. And you might ask the question, what am I doing wrong? Well, maybe there's something you're doing wrong. Maybe there's a sin in your life or maybe it's not something you're doing wrong. Maybe it's something you're doing right. Do you believe that even when God allows you to go through trials and suffering, even when God says no to an opportunity, even when you're going through grief, that God through that pruning is actually blessing you? I wanna share with you one of what I believe is the best sermon illustration I've ever done. This was years ago. I don't know if I'll ever top it. I keep trying to, I bring goats on stage. I do everything I can to make a sermon memorable. Uh, But years ago, when I was a youth pastor, I had dreadlocks. Have you seen a picture before? That's Jake and that's me. That's, That's on Jake's wedding day. I was in his wedding party. His wife will never let me live down that I had dreadlocks in all their wedding photos. And, uh, and I was, the next week I was preaching at, uh, at our youth ministry and on stage, I was preaching through John 15, the same passage, I cut my dreadlocks off in front of the kids. Here's a picture. That's, that's the next week. And you should have been there for the screams. Like the kid, they had no idea. They were like, oh no, not the dreadlocks. You know, like the kid, the students love uh, my dreadlocks, loved my dreadlocks. My girlfriend at the time did not love my dreadlocks. And I ended up marrying that girl. And so I think I, I chose correctly in that situation. <laughs> but I still remember, I still rem- I got a haircut this week, by the way. Anyone notice that? <laughs> Inten- intentional. Um, I still remember the main idea. And I, part of the reason I remember it is because it rhymed. Here was the main idea from John 15. This was like when I preached this years ago. If you want new things to grow, old things have to go, okay? If you want new things to grow, old things have to go. So this week, I got a haircut. Imagine if I went and sat down in the barber chair and they're like, what do you want? I'm just like, just make me look fresh. You know, I love using that word fresh. I just want something fresh. I just want, you know, something new. And then I set you know, get the, the apron on, and then it's like they turn on the clippers. Bzzz, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa! I don't want you to cut anything off. Like, okay, and they put the clippers like, and they get the scissors like, ah! And I'm like, no, no, no! I just want something fresh, but I want to keep the same old hair. Do you see how silly that is? It's insane, actually. <laughs> In our lives. We pray for God to grow the fruit of the spirit and we are unwilling to let go of the works of the flesh. We love talking about the fruit of the spirit, don't we? How can I get more love in my life? How can I get more joy in my life? How can I get more peace in my life? 
and we forget how that passage ends. Those who grow the fruit of the Spirit, they've crucified the flesh along with its passions and its desires. If you want new things to grow, old things have to, everyone say it? They have to go. They have to go. Let God prune you. I believe that's one of the reasons you're not experiencing the fruitfulness that God has for your life, is you're holding on to the old things, the false things, the dead things in your life. And that's just gardening tip number one. Let's learn some more. John 15, continuing through our passage, verse five. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Without Jesus, we can do nothing. That's just the truth. Right? Imagine a branch that was chopped off from a vine on the ground. It's like, look what I can do. I'll tell you what you can do. You can wither and die. That's all we can do apart from Jesus. But with Jesus, all things are possible. With Jesus, he's going to grow good fruit in our lives. Remember that God is the one that causes the growth. Paul says that in Corinthians. And yet, you might not be able to force the growth. You can't manufacture fruit. You can't control the weather. But here's what you can do. Here's your second gardening tip you can cultivate a healthy environment, right? Imagine that you're planting a garden in your backyard. You, you, can, you can select some good, a good spot that's plenty of, you gotta get the plenty of sunshine, that's gonna get hit by the sprinklers, you know? You, you can cultivate a healthy environment. That's really a great definition of what gardening is. It's really maintaining an environment. And for us, the environments in which we live our lives are not just the places that we go, but they're the people that we surround ourselves with. And what I wanna talk about with the environments for a follower of Jesus is we need to cultivate a healthy environment in the church. I would say it like this, it's impossible to be fully connected to Jesus and cut off from his body and cut off from his body. We've gotta be spending time in, not just the worship gatherings, certainly the worship gatherings, but even in relational community, in life groups, in small groups, in prayer. Are we practicing the one another's of scripture? I wanna show you another picture. This is not just of a vine, this is a vineyard, okay? That picture's from Tuscany. Woo, who wants to be there right now? Beautiful, beautiful. God desires that. Jesus says it like this. He wants carpas palus, much fruit. In Spanish, mucho fruto. <laughs> That's what he wants. By yourself, you can only produce a little bit of fruit. Okay? Now think about this. Connecting to the body of Christ not just here in you know, our church, but the global church, being part of the global body of Christ. It's much more beautiful than that vineyard, and it's much more expansive than that vineyard. It, it spans the entire earth. 
This might come as a surprise to you, but if you want to make a glass of wine, you need more than one grape. Right? And some of us are are trying to produce much fruit on our own, but we're actually cut off from the body of Christ. And we can accomplish bigger things together for God's kingdom. In fact, I've heard this so often in people's, you know, deconstruction stories, is they haven't given up on God necessarily. They maybe even still believe the truth of the gospel, but they hate the church because the church hurt them. And I want to tell you the solution is not detachment, is not severing from the church. The solution is pruning. That was just a bad part of humanity. That was sin creeping its way in. And we need to cultivate healthy environments where the, where the spirit can convict us and grow us and heal us. Because I just got to tell you, it's impossible. I don't know how it's impossible. How could a branch be connected to a vine and disconnected from a vine at the same time? You can't be connected to Christ and be detached from his body. See, a couple chapters later, Jesus would pray this prayer in John 17, 20 to 21. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So that's us, future generations of disciples, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe you have sent me. You want to you wanna bear karpos palus? You want to bear much fruit? I'll tell you what, what needs to happen. You've got to be in the environment of the church. You've got to be participating in this communal life that God has designed for you. We cannot be connected to Jesus and cut off from his body. And, and if, we, if we mean those words that we sing, Lord, send revival, if we, mean, if we truly mean those words, we would take Jesus' words in John 17 seriously. How will the world know that the Father sent the Son? That we are one. The unity, the kind of relational environment that's being created by spirit-filled people. That's how we bear much fruit. That's how we bear much fruit. A spirit-empowered church that's deeply connected to Jesus and deeply connected to one another, that's the kind of church that will see a harvest of righteousness that only God can do in this world. That's gardening tip number two. Cultivate a healthy environment. Let's finish off the passage. John 15, verse nine. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. There's that word abide again. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that your joy, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Doesn't that sound good? Having the joy of Christ himself in us. Joy overflowing, joy abundant. His gardening tip number three, put the right structures in place. Put the right structures in place. You don't get that kind of Tuscany vineyard scene without some trellises in there, do you? I mean, that's one of the unique things about grapevines. They need structures. They need something to cling to. They need something to grow on. And the reality is we've been using this word abide. Jesus has used it 10, 10 times. How, how in the world do you abide? How, how's this week going for you? Doing good? Just abiding. 
I'm just abiding left and, abiding left and right over here. Like, what does that even mean? Okay, do you see that? Here's what it means. It means you're doing the kinds of things that draw you closer to Christ on a daily basis. There are certain activities that foster attachment to Christ. How do you know, how do you know that you have a healthy marriage? Other than just like you feel connected to your spouse. There are certain activities in a marriage that actually make you more connected to that person. Does that make sense? The same is true of any relationship, especially our relationship with Jesus. So those activities that foster attachment are classically known as the spiritual disciplines. We refer to them often as the spiritual practices. And Jesus, by the way, if you're paying attention in John 15, has already mentioned two of them, the two pillar spiritual disciplines. If you ask anything in my name, what is he talking about? He's talking about prayer. If my words abide in you, what's he talking about? He's talking about reading scripture. He's talking actually about meditating on scripture and memorizing scripture. Reading the Bible and prayer are not just good Christian activities. They're, they're these activities that help you abide. And your mixture of spiritual disciplines that you do in your life is referred to as a rule of life. Now, I've preached a whole series on a rule of life. Maybe that language is new to you, but here's what a rule of life is. A rule of life is an outer framework for inner growth. It's the trellis. It's, it's, it's the, the, the thing that you live your life upon. So it certainly includes, you know, I'm going to read my Bible this many times, or I'm going to memorize these passages, or I'm going to pray. But it also includes other spiritual disciplines. I'm going to prioritize going to church. I'm going to spend time fasting. I'm going to practice a Sabbath. I'm going to spend these times in silence. And your own combination of practices is what's referred to as a rule of life. It's not necessarily a list of rules. It's just a list of commitments that you yourself have decided to make. It comes from this language of monasteries. And I don't know about you, but I typically, when I think of like, what's, a, what's like a, a fun, rowdy crowd that you want to hang out with on a, on a weekend? I typically don't think monk, right? <laughs> what's like, you, you know, there's kind of like the vows and the silence and the, you know, like the simple dress and all this sort of thing. And yet, one of the most famous rules is the rule of St. Benedict. And in the rule of St. Benedict, it's all Benedictine monks live according to this rule. This is what it says near the end. It says this, as we go forward in our life and faith, our hearts will expand and we will run the way of God's commandments with unspeakable sweetness of love. See, Benedict wrote his rule to provide structure for people to pattern their lives after. And yet at the end of it, he's acknowledging exactly what Jesus is saying in John 15. These things I have spoken to you so that you might have joy. So you might have joy. Why do we keep God's commandments anyways? Keeping his commandments is a form of love. We do these things because we love him. It's a joy. Our hearts actually expand in sweetness of love. See, the reality is, this is what I'm saying. It's quite possible. It's entirely possible to do all the right stuff, pray, read scripture, go to church, to do all the Christian things and still miss out on abiding, to still miss out on the sweetness of love, to still miss out on abundant joy. 
It's possible to be near to Jesus and yet totally miss him. This is one of the interesting themes in the resurrection. This happens a few times. Mary Magdalene, the first witness of the resurrection on Easter Sunday, she's crying, she's weeping, she thinks somebody has stolen Jesus's body, and yet he's right there behind her having a conversation with her, and she thinks he's a gardener, right? The disciples who are in the boat, they see Jesus, he's cooking breakfast on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he's, he's talking to them, and they don't quite know it's him, and then once Peter finds out it's him, he jumps out of the boat, He's got to be near to Jesus. And yet one of the most interesting ones is Jesus with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. That Jesus approaches these two disciples. And this is what it says in Luke 24, uh, 15 and 16. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Now, we're not sure exactly why their eyes were kept from recognizing them. Some have suggested maybe Jesus looked different to them, and that's quite possible. I believe another possibility is that their hearts had not made room for the possibility of the resurrection, so that when they even encountered Jesus himself risen from the dead, their, their hearts were still so full of sorrow and grief, and Jesus had to explain the scriptures to them. Whatever the reason, they spend probably hours with Jesus, speaking with him, talking Bible with him, sitting down to eat a meal with him before they finally realize this is him. We've been in his presence the entire time. It's possible that Jesus is near to you, and you've actually forgotten that he's right there. Have you experienced this at a dinner table before? Where someone's physically present, but they're not really there. They're on their phone. They're still thinking about work. They're running through the situation. You talk to them. You say the same thing time and time again, and it's hard to even get their attention. I wonder how often the Holy Spirit is doing that with us. See, we started today with the simple point, Jesus wants fruit. And he does. Everything that we've looked at is true. He does want fruit. But ultimately, here's what Jesus wants even more than fruit. Are you ready for this? Jesus wants you. He wants you. He wants you. Heart, soul, mind, strength. He wants you. He wants the entirety of your being. He wants you in relationship with him. He's drawing near to you even right now. Don't miss him. Don't be so distracted or busy or preoccupied. He's not looking for the flash of the leaves and the pretense. He wants deep connection with us, with his people. And that is how we grow much fruit. We must learn to become more aware of his presence. So we're gonna sing one more worship song and let's spend this time truly abiding becoming aware and connecting to Jesus Christ, the living God. Let's stand. Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church podcast. You can find out more about our church at hillcityboise.org. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hill City Boise. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you follow Jesus with everything.